0: That particular style um, is called a paradoxical breather. It's a reverse breather. Mm. And you're doing pretty much the opposite of the way your body was designed. So take any machine you can think of and and try to have the same results with doing things backwards. So that's exactly what's going on in your body. You're going to feel, um, I can't even tell you what's going to happen once you start breathing the right way.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Take a Deep Breath. Today's breathcast is with Dr. Belissa Varanich. Uh, she runs the breathing class and she's a psychologist and a breathwork expert that I think you're going to get a lot of value from today. We're going to talk a lot about stomach sucking uh, and the benefits of deep, proper diaphragmatic breathing. So I learned a ton in this, and you're going to learn a load as well. So enjoy the podcast. Please like, subscribe, and share. And let's get cracking with that podcast. Cheers. <laughs> Hi Belisa, how's it going?
0: I'm doing great, how are you today?
1: Very, very good, thank you so much for being on the podcast, really excited to to get stuck in and ask you some questions about my favourite subject in the world, breathing.
0: Oh, that's mine as well. We're completely aligned. <laughs>
1: hopefully we're going to have plenty to talk about. I've been making notes for a while now, so I've got some good questions hopefully I, I can ask you. Good. But I think just before we get started, I think it's always really good to, to tell the viewers, could you just explain a bit about who you are and what your background is?
0: Sure. I am a clinical psychologist. Uh, my home base is New York City. And I started teaching breathing about 12 years ago. And I focus on the mechanics and the psychology of breathing. The reason I got interested in it was because I was working with patients who were depressed and anxious, and I found that when I helped them uh, learn how to breathe in a way that was more anatomically congruous, more correct, that they actually felt better. Their depression uh, got better, and definitely their anxiety felt better.
1: Wow. And there's a chicken and egg question for you here. Does dysfunctional breathing cause anxiety and depression or does anxiety and depression cause uh, dysfunctional breathing or is it a bit of both? What's your thoughts?
0: Well, you know what? I am an incredibly practical person. So I would say, who cares? Mm. Let's just get it fixed. So you can almost figure it out in reverse, which is that if you do the breathing and your anxiety uh, gets better, then the breathing was a part of it. Mm. Um, The same things often with medication, which is that you don't know if your neurotransmitters are off, but if you take medication and you feel better than they were. So for me, life is short. Let's stop trying to figure it out and let's start throwing um, solutions at it and see what works best.
1: Mm. So if you meet somebody that's anxious or depressed, what, what sort of things are you observing with their breath? What sort of things would you be looking out for as kind of red flags?
0: Uh, absolutely. They're breathing vertically. And breathing vertically means that you are using auxiliary muscles when you breathe. So mm-hmm. if you watch someone breathe and they're sort of breathing upwards in a vertical way, and when they exhale, they come down, that's an auxiliary muscle driven breath. And when you breathe that way, you're going to usually breathe more quickly and so faster and have shallow breaths. And we know that that's hallmark of of a breath that is an anxious breath. So that's what I would see.
1: Okay. And um, I, I'm, I'm keen to, to explore a little bit about the TED talk you did, where you, you talked a bit about um, the first people to contact you were people in the armed forces. Yes. Um, what are you doing with the armed forces and how does breathing play a role there?
0: Oh, such a big role. And I have to tell you, the TED talk was rough because I had exactly 10 minutes to say everything which was really difficult because they wanted you know, to know about me, about give examples. They wanted to know uh, difficult questions, easy questions, most common questions. And of course, they always want people to cry um, as well. And I couldn't fit that in into 10 minutes, certainly not the crying part. But I started with the military and with law enforcement because I got called in. So it wasn't that I was looking to necessarily work with that group. Um, But that was the first group that responded to the idea of breathing. Um, So it was specifically combat athletes and tactical athletes. So it was fighters and military and law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And I found myself at the DEA in New York and then the department of, of justice in San Diego and the group of people that were there were first responders and tactical athletes. So that was fascinating for me and it made me jump in really hard into very practical breathing exercises and explanations that were good for people that needed endurance in their jobs and they needed to control their arousal.
1: Mm. Uh, And so can you just give us a little bit more because I'm really curious about this because I I imagine that these people are in a fight-or-flight response for significant periods of their role. What are you doing with the breathing to kind of get them into a different state?
0: Well, what's interesting is that it's not necessarily they're, that they're in a fight or flight state. It's actually the third one that is most uh, dangerous, which is freeze. Mm-hmm. And you see that happen very often. Freeze isn't as sexy as the idea of fighting or running, but it happens when there is an event that is um, overwhelming and you find yourself frozen where you'd like to move, but your perception of time, your, your auditory abilities, um, even your memory suffers when you freeze. So in the fight or flight, you have what's called an adrenaline dump. And in the freeze, you stop moving. And in both those cases, you've gone what's called to the right of the curve, and you're not in control of your arousal anymore. And the number one way to control your arousal and put it back in a place where you're thinking, you're problem solving, you're negotiating all different variables. Well, is with your breath.
1: It's that uh, bunny in the, the headlights, deer in the headlights uh, theory, isn't it? Or Exactly. Or thing, just, and I actually had a, a situation like that. It was so bizarre. I was in uh, Berlin and we were crossing the road and we shouldn't have been crossing the road at this particular point junction um so i guess it's like jaywalking what you'd probably call in america and um the car decided to speed up just to teach me a lesson i think and i was halfway across the road and i didn't know to go back or go forward and so i just stayed still i didn't know what to do and and luckily the car kind of swerved and and missed me um but it was it was the first time i'd experienced freeze where i was like well i don't know it's i'm halfway between the two junctions i'm just Mm -hmm. not sure what decision to make here so so when people get into that That freeze mode then, what what sort of things can they do with breathing?
0: Well, stop their breath from freezing. So if someone is frozen, the first thing to say is exhale. Mm. Because once you exhale, there is a movement you've sort of very quickly thawed out and your body is moving from the most basic movement up. Mm. So if you exhale first, then the chances are that you're going to inhale because being exhaled is a very uncomfortable sensation Hmm. so exhale you'll inhale again and that'll give you the two seconds to realize hey i need to move or i need to back up or i'd like to go forwards
1: yeah okay so so just get some get that breath out your lungs and just start 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 breathing the end yes get
0: yourself out of that frozen state and again it's not inhale because most people think you know you go to the side of the ring and it's breathe breathe or inhale take a deep breath and it's actually the opposite if you're in a critical situation like that exhale first and then your body will automatically want to inhale and there you have two seconds which are the two seconds that may be really critical for you
1: mm. okay no great advice uh, and you mentioned the ring there and i think you've also mentioned in the past fighters so what what sort of breathing techniques and things are you doing with fighters or, or have you discussed with fighters in the past
0: well, with fighting um, or, or sparring is that you need to have strong breathing muscles to give you more gas. And that is what uh, you know fighters want most, is they want to be able to have good endurance, good conditioning. They want to be able to have fuel or gas, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. And if you don't work out your breathing muscles separate from your sport, you're not going to have as much gas, as much endurance as you would if you do. And we actually found that out from... Uh, my two favorite researchers that have worked on specifically um, inspiratory muscle training are from, I'm sorry, my two favorite researchers that have done inspiratory muscle training are from the UK, Alison McConnell and Mitch Lomax. And uh, they have done studies as far back as um, 10, 12, 15 years Mm -hmm. that show that with athletes, specifically endurance athletes, working out your breathing muscles, your inhale muscles, and your exhale muscles actually uh, delays fatigue, which is pretty much having more gas. It's fascinating.
1: Mm. And where do you stand on mouth versus nose breathing?
0: You know what? You should be breathing through your nose. I think we all can agree on that. Um, I think that when you are in the middle of a fight you should not be thinking about using your nose you should just go to your mouth unless getting hit in the jaw is is something that you're at risk for because you obviously don't want to have a slack jaw mm. when you're fighting cuz that means you're you're at more at risk for being injured however um in general we should be breathing through our noses we've found even with with covid that, you know, it's more important to, to breathe through your nose just because, um, well, that's what it's there for. <laughs> and all sorts of wonderful reasons that have to do with your lung health and your, your posture and your mouth and your gums and things like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 I don't know if you're aware of Patrick McEwen who, who wrote The Oxygen Advantage, uh, but he, he talks at length about nasal breathing, the benefits of nasal breathing, nitric oxide, um, you know, cleansing the, cleansing the air and the, the warmth or the cooling of the air. So yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, there's so many benefits to nasal breathing. What, and I'm sure that, you know, there's plenty of answers to this, but why do you think so many people nowadays mouth breathe? What do you think is causing that? So
0: um, I think... A lot of people mouth breathe because their breathing muscles are weak, and instead of working out their breathing muscles, they default to the easiest route of breathing, which is mouth breathing. So you'll find this is if you're a mouth breather and you go to your nose breath, it feels difficult to do. Um, And part of it is because you're continuing, you're probably a vertical breather. So now you have a breath that's small with an orifice that's small and you feel like you're suffocating. So if you want to switch to your nose, it's just not as easy as closing your mouth. You actually have to make sure that the mechanics of your breath are good so that you are actually taking a deep breath Mm -hmm. and that way you will actually stay with breathing through your nose if yeah.
1: that makes sense. <laughs> it does Yeah. And it's, it's this thing, isn't it around just keep at it, keep practicing using the nose. Cause it does get easier. I, I've this year really discovered the benefits of nasal breathing. And you know, when I was on my bike um, or going for a run, it's so easy to go to mouth. Um, and, uh, you know, anaerobic kind of breath. And so I'm really, really trying to train myself to go for that, um, aerobic mouth shut Uh, and it's been a struggle, but, but I've noticed over the past six to eight weeks, there's definitely been some changes there. So I think it's just for people to, to kind of stick at it, isn't it? And your body starts to adapt.
0: Well, uh, no, it's not just stick at it. You actually have to add the mechanics. So if you're breathing with your neck and your shoulders, you're taking a tiny breath. So if you're taking a tiny breath and now you add resistance of your nostrils, it's going to feel impossible. It's going to feel very difficult. Mm. So why not actually, let's just see if there's anything wrong with the mechanics. And if you're breathing with your shoulders, then your mechanics aren't good. So it's going to be very tough to change. The thing to do to make that change much more easy is to make sure that you're breathing diaphragmatically. Mm. So if you are breathing diaphragmatically, it means you're inhaling and exhaling better. Now the switch to your nose will be much easier. So you have to add that missing step of, let me make sure I'm breathing diaphragmatically, because that's actually a, a breath that's in sync with the mechanics, the machine of my body, as I switch back to my nose, which is where I should be as well.
1: Okay, so let's, let's talk about diaphragm because this is, this is something I've been looking forward to asking you. So, so what is the diaphragm? Why does it exist? Uh, and what are we doing wrong with it at the moment? There's a few bits there to unpack. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, part of the, the difficulties with the diaphragm is that we don't really know what it looks like. And in general, the the pictures that we've seen of the diaphragm, well, obviously, sometimes the diaphragm isn't included. We talk about respiratory health and strong lungs and things like that. And all we see are lungs. And the lungs themselves don't do anything on their own. It's the muscles that are around them that are critical, critical Mm -hmm. to your respiratory health. So yes, pulmonologists will look at the lungs. They'll look at inflammation in the lungs, alveoli, bronchi, bronchi. (laughs) I almost said... (laughs) Uh, broccoli, um, which they do sort of look like, but um, they'll look at the components of the lungs. But the part that we tend not to pay as much attention to, although it's fascinating, is the outside. Mm -hmm. So the muscles that are on the outside of the lungs are what pull the lungs open and squeeze them together and get you to exhale. So that's what we need to pay attention to. So the diaphragm um, doesn't have nerve endings on it, so we can't feel it. And a strong, if your diaphragm gets to be strong or weak, we also can't see it. It's not like a muscle on the outside of the body. You can't see air, you can't feel your lungs. So it makes it really hard to understand. As a human being, we, we need to be able to see it or feel it or see results of some sort. So the diaphragm, I actually want you to try this, is that I want you to put your fingers at your sternum. And I want you to stick your fingers in there, both hands, the tips of your fingers, okay? Yeah. The way in the front at your sternum. Mm -hmm. So, I'm gonna get up for a second and show you this is where I want you to be. Yeah, okay. I want you to stick your fingers in there, and now I want you to slowly poke your fingers in there so that you really feel it. Okay, Mm -hmm. is that go walk around the bottom of your ribs? So, keep walking, keep walking till you get right about there. Okay? Okay, now I want you to slip your fingers underneath your rib cage and give them a tug outward horizontally now your ribs should move out horizontally on the inhale without using your shoulders (laughs) (laughs) on the exhale they should squeeze together so keep walking your fingers around keep walking them around you'll feel the sides maybe you'll feel some back fat maybe you'll feel some muscle And I want them to meet, you're going to lose the feeling of your rib cage towards the back of your body because you have muscles there. I want the tips of your fingers to meet at the back of your body.
1: Okay. Yeah. All
0: right. So right there, all the way around where your fingers just went all the way around your body, that's where your diaphragm connects. And for some reason, the pictures we've seen or the analogies or the words that we've heard to explain the diaphragm haven't actually given it um, the importance that it has. So right now, if you were to make a circle with you know, what that looked like all the way around your body, it would probably be the size of a big pizza, right? Mm. I always say pizza or Frisbee. So I want you to imagine in your mind's eye how big that muscle is. Yes. It's round. And it's huge. And it's in the very middle of your body. Now think about this. If you take that muscle and you don't use it, the repercussions throughout your body up and down are tremendous. Mm -hmm. It's really profound. So if you think that you're breathing with your shoulders, now you're not using your diaphragm as much. So it's what's called inhibited. And what happens um, is it affects your digestion. It affects your lower back health. And it also obviously affects how good the breath you take is. So that's the diaphragm kind of in a nutshell. Wow.
1: Can we just pause for two seconds? I'm just going to do a quick uh, cool down. Right guys, we're back, Uh, apologies. I'm sitting in what I can only describe as a sauna today. Uh, We're having an English heat wave. Uh, I don't have an air conditioning unit, so we're going to, we're going to push on because I'm a big fan of the sauna. So we were talking about the diaphragm. Now I am a chest breather. I've had it for years. I think you use the term, uh, stomach sucker. I've been a stomach sucker since, Oh God knows, since I was about 14 and it only really became something I was aware of only a couple of years ago. And because I'm, you know, nearly 40 now, I'm conditioned to to, to have that kind of uh, pose how the heck can I break that conditioning and how do I get away? Let's do that right now. Okay.
0: We are going to break that right now. So Mike, if you are that particular style, um, is called a paradoxical breather. It's a reverse breather Mm. and you're doing pretty much the opposite of the way your body was designed. So take any machine you can think of and, and try to have the same results with doing things backwards. So that's exactly what's going on in your body. You're going to feel, Um, I can't even tell you what's going to happen once you start breathing the right way. Mm -hmm. So let me explain what a paradoxical breather is. You do suck your stomach in on the inhale, which is strange if you think Mm -hmm. about it. It's actually common, but it's a bizarre concept because your lungs, and I want you to take your hands, and I want you to put them down where we measured your diaphragm. So put your hands down you know, between your nipples and your belly button. That's where I want you to be, halfway down, is that... The best part of your lungs start there, and actually the smallest part of your lungs, the ones that are less dense, less oxygen-rich, are right up by your collarbone. So stick your fingers up by your collarbones. Mm -hmm. So up there, not so much uh, the dense lung tissue that we want. Down here is, is the lung tissue that we want to be getting to. Mm-hmm. So if you're breathing with your shoulders, you're actually using the smallest part of your lungs. It's not an efficient breath. Mm-hmm. You're overusing. So many people who are vertical breathers have neck and shoulder discomfort. And it's because they're using yes. these muscles as breathing muscles and they're not meant to be primary breathing muscles. So put your hands down by the best part of your lungs at mm-hmm. the ribs where mm-hmm. we had them before. Yep. And what I want you to realize is that When you inhale, what you're doing is that you're narrowing there. And again, you don't want to be doing this. So don't practice this, but Mm -hmm. just I want you to see if you do this as well. So on the inhale, you puff up the top of your chest and you narrow your middle. So what that breath is, is it's a gasp. So right now, I want you to try that. I want you to try gasping. (gasps) So somebody comes in, they say, boom, Mike, and you go... (gasps) So that's actually how you breathe. So you stayed in that gasping breath where you inhale, puff up the top of your chest and the middle of your body narrows. Mm -hmm. Now here is where um, the problem comes in. The middle of your body is where the best part of your lungs are. Mm -hmm. So think about any animal on the planet on the inhale, it widens in the middle and it narrows on the exhale. Mm -hmm. So I want you to try that now. It's going to feel really funny. Inhale, push into your hands and let your body widen. Don't use your shoulders. And then exhale, narrow your body because you're trying to get the air out. So inhale, puff up your belly. See if you can puff up the bottom of your ribs and then exhale, narrow your body. And again, that's mechanically what you should be doing. Now, no shoulders again. What I want you to do to help that along no. is I want you to change the cue of your breath. So now, usually, we as adults, um, this is dysfunctional, we think of inhale as shoulders. I want you to start thinking of inhale as hips. Okay. So on the inhale, I want you to bump your butt back, it's what's called <laughs> an anterior pelvic tilt, mm-hmm. and if you were doing cat-cow in yoga, yes, it would be the letting your belly go, tipping your hips in the back. Okay. And on the exhale, I want you to roll your hips underneath you and then take your fingers and squeeze your belly. And what we're doing is that we're reteaching your body to do what it used to do. This is not new. I'm not teaching you anything new, but I'm just reminding you the way you used to breathe. Mm-hmm. So on the inhale, I want you to tip forwards, relax the middle of your body, bump your butt back, and on the exhale i want you to squeeze with your fingers tip your hips underneath and even give your glutes a squeeze okay it's a really
1: exaggerated move of, of the whole exactly thing. yeah okay exactly
0: you probably wouldn't do this in public because it would look very silly but when you're or learning a podcast. Something new, <laughs> when you're learning something new you have to do the exaggerated version
1: so mm. that your body
0: can relearn it. And again, you can't see your diaphragm. You can't see your lungs. You barely feel air. So we have to make the outside be very exaggerated. Good. So inhale, press your belly into your hands. Now on the exhale, I want you to squeeze your fingers into your belly. So really help your body understand that it needs like to narrow on the exhale.
1: It's time to point this down a little bit, see if that helps okay. so we can
0: see. Okay. So you're going to keep doing that. Put your hands a little lower. There you go. So inhale, press your belly into your hands. Good. Exhale, squeeze your body. Good. Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. And your hips go under you. Mm -hmm. So I actually want you to tip your head down and look to see what you're doing. And I also want you to listen to the breath. So let's make your inhale sound different than your exhale. Keep your head down. Look at your belly. Good. Exhale. Squeeze your belly. Squeeze your ribs. So even squeeze where your thumbs are because your ribs should narrow as well. Above. There you go. Inhale. Pop your belly. Listen to the sound of your breath. It should sound like an inhale, whatever that sounds like to you. Exhale. Squeeze. Move your hips. Squeeze your glutes because that'll help your hips move under you. Okay. Big inhale. Pop your belly. So give me a big belly. And I'd like to pause for a minute and talk about the belly breath because a lot of people hate the belly breath. And the fact is that we're going to go back to the fact that I'm a psychologist and I'm actually a child psychologist. So my expertise is in learning. If you don't do a belly breath from having been a vertical breather, it's very hard to grasp the concept of a diaphragmatic breath intellectually you might understand it but Mm -hmm. it's hard to get your body to do it because it's a very big change Mm -hmm. um, but it still can be very subtle at the same time so from a vertical breather you need to go to a kind of silly looking belly breather and then once that feels natural you'll go to what's called an abdominothoracic diaphragmatic breath where the middle of your body 360 degrees opens up and Mm. then squeezes and narrows but for now especially if you've been a paradoxical breather i want you to focus on that belly breath
1: okay fantastic right and and would you is there a good time of day to do this for example mornings nights when you're awake all day long so something you practice unconsciously
0: yes because we want that breath to become the breath that you take all the time so i want to go back to a question you had before which is nasal breathing Mm. okay so Figure now, and I want you to continue inhaling forwards and back so we should see your body come forwards a little bit and then exhale it and go back, squeeze your glutes, squeeze your lower abs, is now when you take a breath like that, the numbers I've heard are that um, it's five breaths on top equals one breath on the bottom. So think about this. If you're now taking a breath that's significantly bigger switching to your nose is actually going to be much easier so tell me how that feels
1: what's really interesting is how tight all of this is and and, um i was going to talk i wanted to talk about postures anyway i've had back trouble for years i get spasms in my back i've got really bad reduced mobility here and i've always put it down to being on the computer for the last sort of 15 years Um, and I'm trying my best every day to stretch all this out with yoga and stretching, but it's interesting actually just how much the breath is, is feels like a stretch in the upper chest.
0: Exactly. Mike, I'm so glad you said that, which is that there is a lot of research that shows that diaphragmatic breathing helps with spine health. So you can stretch every once in a while, even several times a day. But can you imagine if you're actually helping your spine with every breath you take? And again, this is anatomy. It's not, uh, you know, we're not guessing with this. We're not um, just going by our feelings. Is that your spine, think about this, where you, your fingers touched in the back. Yes. They're connected to your diaphragm. So your spine and your diaphragm are connected over several vertebrae all the way down and up, Right. So those vertebrae are going to be very much affected, um, very happy or unhappy, if you were a diaphragmatic breather. So that's the part of your spine that actually starts moving, starts having more blood flow. And it's not uncommon that I have people that have come in mm, just with the complaint of shortness of breath or, or air hunger, that all of a sudden their back health starts feeling a lot better as well, not only because they are not using their shoulders to breathe anymore but because the lower back and the diaphragm are now actually communicating and working together
1: wow you know i i like to have a i, I try my best to have a um a white belt mentality to everything in life it's not always easy <laughs> um, i
0: love that but
1: uh yeah i i i, I try and practice jujitsu when we're not in the covid situation and i always try and go in now with that i don't know anything teach me um and recently I've spent so much time learning about the breath and I'm starting to think, you know, I'm, I'm starting to get a bit of this, but just that I, I honestly, it's it's so bizarre, but the, 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 the problems where I have my most tension in my back, just with that breathing exercise you've just taught me, I can feel it straight away. I can feel it. I'm tight here. The back is tight where I have the spasms. Um, and I've been thinking, no, it's all about stretching, but actually uh, you've given me something else there to go away and take a toolkit. So, so thank yeah. you for that.
0: Yeah, mm. you're welcome. And I do want you to work on your, the flexibility of your rib cage because again, let's talk about the rib cage is mm. that your lungs are inside. So your lungs are only as good as how flexible your rib cage is. So if your rib cage and that part of your back, which you just mentioned is rigid, then your lungs aren't filling up as much as they could. So mm. your thoracic flexibility is really, really important. And I'll tell people this, there are three, the three most important movements you can take are um, squats. So being able to squat up and down, Mm -hmm. okay, twists Mm -hmm. and breathing and breathing is a movement plain and simple is that you inhale and it's an internal movement and you exhale and it's an internal movement and it can be done well, or it can be done badly, just like a squat.
1: Mm. And when you say twists, what sort of twists are you recommending? Is that standing? All the
0: way around. All the way around. Any way you can. Okay. Is that, again, your spine is that you want it to be flexible. And Mm. we spend too much time forwards. We're at our computers, we're at our cars. And twisting is incredibly important for every single vertebrae in your body, for your shoulders, for your hips. So twisting, squatting, and breathing. If you have to do anything in the day, those three movements, make sure you're doing them perfectly. Fantastic.
1: And when you're saying squatting, is this where you're complete, is this uh, where you're down completely on your uh, ankles and you're in a sitting position or are you talking about the actual physical exercise of getting down and up and down?
0: Um, You know what, for me is that if you're able to, instead of bending over to reach down to get something, if you can go down and pick Uh, it up, that's much better. Again, if I want to get super practical, I would like to make sure that you can squat down to your chair or your toilet and be able to come up and be comfortable with that. Because once that stops happening as an older adult, there's a lot of problems with your hips. There's a lot of problems with incontinence. You're headed towards a nursing home. So keeping yourself healthy and independent means making sure that your squat all the way down and all the way up, stays as as perfect and fluid as possible.
1: Yes, I, I know in a lot of um, Eastern cultures, um, people tend to sit on the floor more, um and i was in jordan last year and I was, I was just telling a friend this early today actually i was waiting for a bus at a bus station and there was a man late 60s early 70s eating a sandwich and he was in what we'd probably call like a hindi squat where we're just completely yeah. sitting down yeah. and it was absolutely no stress for this guy at yeah. all and i was like wow the fact that i'm you know mid 30s late 30s and i can't even do this what the heck is going on to yeah. us where we're just yeah. destroying our bodies sitting at these desks all the time
0: And I'll tell you, your balance, your flexibility, I mean, I don't know how old, how old did you say he was?
1: uh, Or I would say late 60s, early 70s.
0: If you took, if you did a movement assessment on both of you, he would probably be closer to your age and you would be probably closer to his. Yeah. So... What we do to our bodies as far as limiting mobility is, is horrific. I'm not a movement expert by any means. Um, but those are the three that I know impact on breathing mm-hmm. um, and the three that I've focused on. So being able to go all the way down to the ground and then pulling yourself up. I most important thing ever. And again, one of the reasons people sit that way, is so they don't, um, they don't have chairs. And so they don't get their pants dirty. So folks are not sitting on the ground because it's dirty, yes. but it's a way to be able to be down and rest um, and then be able to get up when you need to. And that's the way we should be doing that over and over all day long. And if you, if you watch someone who's sitting in that way and, or you look at the posture that primitive man had, we were breathing through our backs. So if you sit in that posture for a moment, is mm-hmm. that you'll notice you're not really breathing forwards. You're not breathing with your shoulders. Most of your breath is going to the sides and to the back. So now that we've started standing more and sitting all the time, mm-hmm. where does the breath go? Mm-hmm. So modern life has really impacted you know us in so many ways, and the breath is one of them Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, It's so bizarre. I'm sitting here now and I'm squeezing my stomach out and it's so counterintuitive because for years it's like, no, I need to show people I've got a flat stomach. I can't show my (laughs) gut. I need to suck it in. And so it's, it's just, I can, I can feel a difference. I I really can. So that that is something I'm going to go away and practice a lot.
0: Well, Mike, I got to tell you is that your abs and your core will get stronger Breathing this way, because Mm. think about it before you were just gripping all the time. So how strong can a muscle be when it's in a, in a continual grip? Right. Mm. So I want you to actually extend it Mm
1: -hmm. and then
0: squeeze. So your core will get strong. And I have people all the time and some very, very strong people say, I've started to breathe this way and I can't believe like my, my muscle, how I'm sore. I can't, it's amazing. So I want you to take it up a level. Is that on the next inhale, mm-hmm. I want you to pop your belly even more, relax your glutes even more, and I want you to add. I want you to do something called frogging, where you add a mouthful of air okay. and you press it down. Okay. So frogging is um, comes from uh, Navy SEALs, I think, where you add some air. It's called uh, lung packing. Mm-hmm. So. Take a mouthful of air, push it down. And again, don't do this aggressively if you're listening. Just one or two mouthfuls where you see, hmm, I can actually add some air now. Because now your diaphragm has really lowered and it's created space in your thoracic cavity for you to add a little bit more air. Now when you exhale, I want you to tip your hips underneath you, squeeze your glutes, lower abs. Slowly, I want you to exhale really slowly. Squeeze your abs and notice how much air is coming out of your body. So tip your head down, really squeeze your abs. Hips go underneath you. So now you feel all your butt on the seat. Squeeze, belly button towards your spine a tiny bit more. Good, inhale, tip forwards. Keep your shoulders relaxed. Shoulders relaxed. Add a little bit more air. Ooh, you've got some space. Give me two more mouthfuls. Put your, press your belly into your hands a little bit more. Yep, so press it in. It seems like two different movements, but they're not. And now exhale slowly through a small straw, your mouth. Exhale, slowly, slowly. See how slow you can do that. Start squeezing your belly with your fingers, tip your hips underneath you, squeeze your glutes. You might even add a pelvic floor contraction right here Squeeze everything, get it out, tip your head down, belly button towards your spine a little bit more. Good job. Inhale, tip forwards. Keep your shoulders relaxed. And exhale slowly with control. You're thinking about your belly button going towards your spine. Your hips are tipping underneath. Even your ribs are squeezing into your body and you're controlling that exhale. And again, the reason you're controlling the exhale is muscular. I'm having you use your exhale breathing muscles in a different way than you had before. Good job. All right. How are you feeling? Yeah,
1: very good. Quite peaceful, actually yeah very good. nice very good wow thank you you're welcome yeah it's uh yeah the mechanics is there a danger with this of overbreathing in terms of taking in too much
0: no it's the opposite so when you breathe uh in a in a way that's biomechanically sound you're more apt to change the rate of your breathing to normalize mm. so Um, I do see a lot of people who are over-breathing. However, Mm -hmm. if you tell them to breathe less, that's so counterintuitive that it's a tough sell. Mm -hmm. And again, you have to remember I'm a child psychologist, so I always am looking at what words are making sense to people, what, what visuals are making sense to people. Do they need a tactile element to be able to learn? If you tell someone who has air hunger you need to breathe less, It's really tough. Mm. So if you tell people to practice this for a while, they don't like that either because they don't like to practice anything for a while. Mm -hmm. But if you explain what's going on and they can truly understand how their body's working and how it affects them, then it's much easier to have them connect with the process. So if you're breathing horizontally, diaphragmatically, is that now you're breathing the way your body's supposed to inhale and expand exhale and contract so the pace normalizes Mm. and you're less apt to breathe too much
1: yes wow i because i've I've heard this many times that you uh look at how a baby breathes and, and often the baby's sticking its tummy right out and when it's sleeping it's going back in again well what age do you start to see us go from really good natural breathers to this point where we're just dysfunctional breathing. Is is there a point you've seen in your research?
0: (laughs) So I don't ever mention babies because babies uh, don't have the muscles to be able to do anything else. But I do say, look at a five-year-old because by then five-year-olds are starting to look like little people, Mm. little adults. So if you look at a five-year-old or a six-year-old, they'll inhale and expand and exhale and contract. I did a study um, where I looked at what age it changes and I didn't know what age it was gonna be and I didn't know if there was gonna be a difference between gender and it was actually five and a half. Six year olds can still remember how to do it, but at five and a half is when we found that children who were horizontal breathers then changed to vertical breathers and Although you have more control over your body at age six, we found that the reasons were less about postural control and more about things related to psychology, such as shame, stress, modeling of adult behavior, Mm. um, sitting at school, and so on.
1: Wow. Okay. So that, that seems to be the age where we start to lose this amazing gift of functional breathing. But I guess the great thing is with techniques, like what you've just showed me, we've completely got the power to to own it and bring it back again.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, that's, you you just said it in a nutshell. That's what makes my job, um, makes me so passionate about what I do is that it's not, I'm not teaching anything that's brand new because frankly, there's nothing new in breathing. It's old as dirt, right? Um, However, is that you need to relearn how to breathe the way you used to breathe. And I'm just reminding you how you used to breathe. And I'm giving you a baseline so that you can continue to work on it. And what's really interesting about, you know, when you look at breathing and ventilation in that way as a skill that you can make better Mm -hmm. is that, um, Uh, it works, is that people attach to it. So they'll say, I've come up with something called the breathing IQ. So if you take your breathing IQ, and we should have done this with you beforehand, but honestly, if you are a reverse breather, it means you're an F minus. So (laughs) (laughs) what I'm going to ask you to do is after we meet is to take your breathing IQ, and then you'll see two things is you have to change the location of movement. And you have to Uh, increase your range of motion. So location of movement is where am I breathing? Do I breathe with my shoulders? Do I breathe with my upper chest? Do I breathe just with my belly? Do I breathe horizontally in all different directions? You sort of take an assessment of yourself. What type of breather am I? And then the second part is that you put a measuring tape at the bottom of your ribs, and this is called a measurement of thoracic excursion. It's not a new measurement. At all. Mm -hmm. It's one that's been done for hundreds of years, looking at thoracic excursion. And you inhale as much as you can, you look at that number. You exhale as much as you can, you look at that number. And then there's a way to figure out a grade. It's on my website, by the way, if you'd like to do it. But you take those two numbers and your style of breathing, you get a grade. And then if it's not where you want it to be, you start working on it. You start making the breath be at the middle of your body Mm -hmm. by tipping your hips. And then you start making sure that your inhale is wide just like you're doing and that your exhale is narrow just like you're doing until you have a perfect biomechanical breath.
1: Okay, fantastic. And and just for those that uh, want to find your website, we'll talk about this at the end anyway, but where should they go for that test? What's the address? The breathing
0: class. You go to the breathing class under tools and it'll say BIC, Breathing IQ.
1: Okay. And, And for somebody like me then that now is going to practice this uh, mechanical correction of, of breathing? What, 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 I mean, I, I know this is probably a bit of a daft question, but in terms of changing a habit like that, what, what do you expect to see with somebody in an adult stage trying to kind of correct their breathing? How long do you think it normally takes?
0: Well, it's very different than trying to change any other habit for two reasons. One is that you used to breathe this way. Mm. So you're trying to do something that you actually have done perfectly before. That's good news. Number two is that your body wants to breathe this way. And again, I'm not very woo woo, but in this moment I will be, is that your diaphragm actually wants to breathe in a way that expands your body on the inhale and that your exhale, your body narrows. That's what it wants to do. Mm-hmm. It was it was put in your body. We were designed specifically that way so that the inhale, the middle would expand and then the middle would narrow. So You have everything going for you to be able to make this change because it's the way we're supposed to be doing it. And I really feel that the the diaphragm is connected and our breath is connected to um, our heart and it is our mind-body connection and bracing is something that's emotional. So once you start pulling that apart, your diaphragm and your body really does want to breathe in a way that is good for your physical health and your emotional health. Mm-hmm. So it could be that you make this change in the next five minutes. It could be that it takes you two weeks, but if you actually dedicate yourself to it, it's not that long of a time because, those, because of those two things. You used to breathe this way, and your body wants to breathe
1: this way fantastic right lovely uh, can we switch up a, a gear a little bit and talk a bit about sure. covid um I, i'm just really keen to get your thoughts Sunday in in you know in, in the breathing industry or you know breathing expert what what do you think's going on any any protocols or any safety measures sure. um just yeah it should be lovely to hear your thoughts on, on where we should be Great. thinking with this
0: so I think my overarching message is that until we treat our respiratory health with the importance that we treat our cardiovascular health, we're going to have more um, respiratory problems, whether that's COPD or it's COVID or other respiratory diseases. So we need to take respiratory health and pull it up in importance um, to cardiovascular health. So we really, all of us, need to understand the lungs, the diaphragm, the respiratory system really well, Um, then we have to exercise it. We have to make sure the mechanics are good and we have to exercise it. So again, if you are looking to make sure that your respiratory system is in good shape as part of your prevention plan, is that make sure you have an A breathing IQ, and make sure you do breathing muscle exercises. And you can combine your breathing muscle exercises with other things. You can combine them with um, your meditation practice. Mm -hmm. You can combine them with your your Kegels and your pelvic floor contractions. Um, So it's not something that uh, is, is difficult or vague, Um, It's something that we need to start integrating into our health protocols as quickly as possible. Once you have COVID or if you're recovering from COVID, again, this is tremendously important for a different reason. The research we're seeing post-COVID is that um, you might have lung scarring um, and your breathing muscles may be stiff. Your diaphragm may not be working as well. So making sure that uh, you are ventilating, and ventilating is just a a very mechanical way of talking about air going into the organism and out, um, is that you are ventilating well. Mm. So again, that breathing IQ is, is priceless because it's a functional measurement that shows you if you're breathing well, and then it also teaches you, just by virtue of taking the breath of the test, um, of how to change it so that you are breathing well. You are using your diaphragm. You're taking what's called a productive exhale. So it's it's something you can do right away and, and it really is life-changing.
1: Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, uh, that'll be really helpful for my viewers. So I really appreciate that uh, and myself. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about some of those what we kind of deem in sexier breathing techniques out there at the moment. So I'm sure you've heard of Wim Hof and, of you know, course. I know there's holotropic and there's uh, yeah. Soma breath. And so all these different things that require a lot of uh, overventilation, uh, Sometimes, you know, 30 big, deep breaths and breath holds. Can you just share your thoughts a bit about what, what you think about them and maybe a bit about what's going on there?
0: Oh, I mean, we've been doing controlled hyperventilation for hundreds of years. So it's not new at all. Um, Stan Groff holotropic breathing, which you mentioned, has deep research and and uh, decades of students that he 's taught um, in a very rigorous way, for instance so um breath led meditation is very powerful it's it 's a fantastic way to put yourself in a calm, uh, trancy state and reach a meditative state if you can't do it otherwise. Um, I'm a big fan, um, as long as it's done in a way that's, that's ethical and um, with a lot of support. So yes, <laughs> there's a lot of great people out there doing it and mm-hmm. um, it's important to, if it's something that you like, to find someone that is uh, well-versed and well-trained and feel safe because sometimes stuff bubbles up that you're not expecting will come up. So yeah, it's a fantastic modality.
1: Yeah, I've uh, done some very long breathing sessions with with the Wim Hof guys actually a couple of years ago. And Mm -hmm. I've talked about this at length on the podcast, but I've had some huge emotional releases, you know, crying, laughing, uh, all all, all sorts of stuff. Big, You know, there's about 20 of us in the room doing it. It was a really profound experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, have you experienced anything similar to that? Have you practiced any of those kind of long breathing exercises?
0: Yes, absolutely. So Um, I first started learning about, um, uh, breath-led meditation from someone who's been teaching, you know, at least 30 years, David Elliott out of New Mexico. Um, and then, um, I did a class at Art of Living. Um, they have classes all over the United States. Um, and then looked at holotropic breathing as well. I didn't go through the courses with them, but, but obviously I actually have spoken alongside, um, Stan Groff and he's, you know, mind-blowingly smart and interesting. Um, Dan Brule is another person who's, who's been around for a long time and is really eloquent and, um, um, really fantastic and has very deep knowledge of that breath. So um, the first time I did it, um, it actually pushed me to want to learn more about the mechanics and more about being able to explain what happens because I'm a bit of a type A and I wanted to understand better what was happening when you had a cathartic release. And actually I also wanted to make sure that we had good guidelines and good teaching for what to do when someone had a cathartic release and how to make that both productive um, and safe. So a lot of what I teach right now has to do, when we do the meditation part of what I teach, Um, it's a lot about how do you make that experience something that translates into your daily life and also how do you keep someone safe, psychologically safe, after the fact
1: Mm, yeah really important because you're you're extremely vulnerable aren't you when you come out of one of those sessions yeah and it's got to be handled the right way yeah no wonderful um so uh, as we as we move towards the end then uh, i'm very keen to understand a little bit about what are your routines like what sort of things do you do when it comes to breath so i obviously i assume you're doing functional breathing you know 99.999% of the time if not 100% of the time but are there any daily practices you've got maybe you could share a bit about maybe your morning or evening routines
0: sure i mean well i uh, i look at breathing for um sport So I really do breathing muscle exercises to make sure that in addition to cardio, which I actually don't love doing cardio, um, that my breathing muscles are strong. And that's what's very important to me. And that's what I love to do. Um, And that's why I work with with athletes, um, because who doesn't want more endurance? So my breathing practices, um, I have my meditation practice, but my breathing practices have to do with working out my breathing muscles until I sweat. Um, or if I'm working together with a group of people or friends until we sweat, um, whether that's using, you know, using your body and a little bit to an extreme and making sure those muscles are worked out or, or using the O2 trainer or using balloons, but really working out the breathing muscles hard. So my routine has to do in more with being in a gym setting and setting aside time to really work out those breathing muscles to exhaustion.
1: Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so so it's a full workout, but for the, for the, the breathing system. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and, uh, uh, last question. So, uh, what, what one bit of advice would you be giving people that you meet on the street that say, I want to improve my health? What, what, what would you be saying to them?
0: Well, definitely the breathing. It's the foundation of your health. I mean, we do so much, um, we do so much that sort of hits the surface, but, you know, we take all these, vitamins and we have such routines with all different things we should be doing. But if you actually start from the bottom up, the, the return of the ROI, the return on your investment um, is fantastic when it comes to the breathing. And you don't know exactly what's going to feel better, but it's a combination of digestion, back health, um, endurance in your sport, and the lowering of your stress. So whereas I may have someone come in or someone ask me a question about breath and stress, they may later on say, Hey, my acid reflux is better or mm-hmm. my balance is better. So, um, again, keep looking at your breathing, regardless of whether you, uh, read or, or listen to the things that I do, but keep looking at your breathing and try to make it better, whether it's, Um, making it more diaphragmatic, making your breathing muscles stronger, becoming aware of it throughout the day, because the return on that is, can be really mind blowing for sure. And I would start with taking your breathing IQ because we all say take a deep breath, right? But for me, I want to know is are you really taking a deep breath or is it a caricature of what you think a deep breath is? So the breathing IQ is really where I would send everyone.
1: Wonderful. Uh, and where can people find you?
0: Thebreathingclass.com or Dr. Belisa. So my Instagram is Dr. Belisa and uh, Facebook and website is The Breathing Class
1: wonderful belisa thank you so much um you, that nice. was incredibly powerful for me i'm sitting here now with the breathing really trying to make sure that i'm doing it properly so I, i'm going to go away and practice that religiously good um, and and hopefully everybody else got as much value as i did and i really of your time guys thank you so much for watching the podcast uh please like subscribe and share as always please let us know how you found the podcast and let us know what you'd like to see on future breathcast episodes belisa thank you so so much once again and guys we will see you thank on the you, next Mike. episode thank you